You can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. I've got your podcast coming, baby. Yep, Adam's got me. Where's Grace this morning? I don't know. We'll tell her we miss her, please. I'll tell her in Boston. Tell her right here. Turn it on. Turn it back on. <laughs> Let her know we're thinking about it. I was wondering the same thing. Natalie just asked, where's Grace? And Kayla said, I don't know. We miss you, Grace. We do miss you. We miss you, Grace. Yes. We love you. Hey, next week, picnic. Don't forget. All right. So we are talking about the kingdom of God still. And today we're talking about families in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you have a kingdom, that you are the king, that you're the ruler of everything and of everybody. You're the head of every family. Every family has its head in Christ. Every family has its head in God. So we defer to you. We yield to you. As children, help us to lovingly obey you. Help us all to walk out our calling and assignments in our particular roles as family members. Help us as families to be a witness to the world, to be a testimony to everybody. You have a good design, Lord, to spread the message of the kingdom through us as individuals and through us as families. So open the eyes to our hearts. Open the eyes of our hearts to that today. Give us revelation. Yes. Give us revelation into your word. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. 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 So we're going to read Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 15. And we're going to read through chapter 6 and verse 4. But before we do that, I'll say this. We've been talking a lot about how we are... Christ's representatives as individuals. We've been talking about us as an individual Christian. Hudson as an individual Christian is to share the kingdom of God, to let people know that the kingdom of God has come near them. Kayla is called as an individual Christian to share the kingdom of God just as her own person. Brian's called as his own man, like, I am a Christian, I represent the king, I have this particular calling just as a person. Same goes for Bailey. Same goes for every single one of us. We all have this particular calling to do this particular thing on a particular mission. We're our own person representing the king. You are an ambassador. Not when you reach a certain age, not when you've been walking with the Lord for a certain length of time. The moment you get born again, the mission is spread the message of the kingdom, spread the gospel of the kingdom. The moment you get saved, you're qualified. Why? Don't I need to know stuff and teach stuff? No, because the only calling is to be a witness. To be a witness and to tell what you have seen. So kids, you're familiar with the court situation, right? And they say, this person has been charged of this, or this person is in trouble for that. And they say, we need witnesses. We need people who can say that they've seen what happened. So we call this witness to the stand. Does that make sense, Hudson? So we need a witness. Did anybody see what happened? Bob says that so-and-so kicked his dog. So-and-so that he did, says that he didn't kick the dog. Do we have any witnesses? Did anybody see? Can anybody tell us what really happened? 
So this is what God has called us to be. He wants us to be a witness. We're supposed to be able to be people who can say, I can tell you what God has done in my life. I'm a witness. I can tell you, Jesus saved me. I can tell you, I used to be this way and now I'm different. I can tell you what the peace of God is like in my life. I can tell you what the kingdom of God is like in my life. I can tell you what it feels like to know God is my father. I can be a witness. So you don't have to be able to be some crazy great preacher. You don't have to do anything. All you're responsible for is to be a witness to your experience. Be a witness. Be able to say honestly in the court of the world, in the court of testimony of everyone. What's your testimony? You know, if you go before the judge and the jury, they're looking for your testimony. They're saying, all right, Miss Madeline, what's your testimony? What's your, what's your witness? And Ms., you don't have to tell them anything crazy. You don't have to teach them something complicated. You just need to say, well, here's what the kingdom of God is like. Here's what it's like to know God. Here's what it's like to love Him. And you can do that with your experience. That's what God requires. So that's simple. That's good. A witness is called into the courtroom to say what they saw. I was once called into court to say what I had seen. I saw two people fighting and months later, I get called into court. They, they delivered something to me in, in the mail, and it said, you've got to be at the court at this time to tell what you saw. And I was called into the courtroom. They said, what happened? And, they, and the, the judge told me, you tell us what you saw and what you know. They, he didn't care about you know, what I thought happened or anything else. He just said, tell me what you've experienced. Like, what do you know for sure? And that's what God calls us to do as well. What do you know? What have you experienced? What have you seen in the kingdom of God? So that's good. We all have that joy and that responsibility to daily stand in the court of the world and say with our life and with our worlds and with our words, Jesus is king and I follow him. Whether it's the YMCA, whether it's at the swimming pool, whether it's at the grocery store, whether it's through a text message, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's through Zoom, whether it's at the Dollar General, whether it's at the dump, whether it's at the office, whether it's whatever interaction we get. I miss, I'm not going to keep swallowing it. Whatever our opportunities are, that's what we're responsible for. That's us as individuals. Here's the cool news. We are also witnesses for the kingdom of God as families. There's a particular way and there's a particular calling not just as an individual. Most of us in our Christian walk, that's where we've heard most of the emphasis. But the cool thing is God also has a very, very specific, a very deliberate design for families in the kingdom of God. He wants families to represent him as families. So God started everything with a family. God has worked through families and God is going to end with a family. Families are not like a plan B for him. They were not a secondary thing. Families were always the means and the way that God has worked. Through Adam and Eve, through Jacob and Rachel, Jacob whose name was changed to Israel, so the whole nation of Israel, and then finally, Jesus and the church, now and in the age to come. Families is God's thing. That was all he ever intended to begin with, remember? God made a family and they all lived happily ever after. That was the point. So we oftentimes have gotten overly focused on this individualistic pursuit, Mm -hmm. this individual focus. A lot of this has come uh, in Western society. 
A lot of this has come because there isn't, we don't recognize this. I don't recognize this, how significant it is. But if you and I went to, to Asian countries, we would see the significance of the family and the individual is not as important. Whereas here in the West, in the United States, the individual is exalted and the family is diminished. Mm-hmm. The more biblical model is certainly that the family is exalted and the individual finds their place within the family. Yes. So in Eastern society, when you would introduce yourself, you introduce yourself with your last name first to show honor to the family, to the clan that you're a part of. And then you would say who you're the son of to honor your father. And then finally, your name. So it would be Clark, I'm the son of Barry, I'm John Michael. Like, I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. It's not, I'm John Michael Clark, (laughs) you're welcome. You know, which I've certainly been guilty of. I think Miss Natalie, look at my loving wife with no comment. Thank you, baby. She knows what I'm preaching on this morning, so she's getting ahead of the game. She's like, we're in Ephesians 5. I'm going to cross my T's and dot my I's. So um, that's the idea, though, that, that the family would be honored because that was always God's point, that the family is honored, that the family would be cherished. That, and, it, and family wasn't just father, mother, children family throughout biblical culture and God's understanding of family is the whole clan. It's this whole close-knit clan and of course throughout all of history up until the last you know 400 years that's been the norm for most of the world. Like we all stayed together but modern society has changed a lot of those things. So we we have freedom. It's not uh, it's not unreasonable burdens but we do need to not miss the heart of the thing and the heart of the thing is that every family in the kingdom of God has the purpose of showing others God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. That's what God wants us to see. Every family has the purpose of showing God's kingdom as a family. So what does it look like to show? Well, I know how to show the kingdom as as an individual witness. You know, share the message of of the kingdom. Like, live the message of the kingdom. Walking in love is going to go a long way to draw the attention of people because it's right side up in an upside down world so it looks funny it looks amazing it looks refreshing it looks beautiful and it draws questions well the cool thing is the same thing is true as a family now let's read the text ephesians 5 15 through ephesians 6 through 4 is what we're going to read so i'm reading a king james bible this morning so you haven't heard me read from that i've been reading from esv Uh, This is to honor my grandfather. I'm reading from his Bible this morning. This is the Bible that my grandfather used in the first two years of his ministry in the 60s as a pastor. This was the only book he owned. Uh, My grandmother's notes are in the front of this Bible. She said, this is the Bible that William started his ministry with. For the first two years of his ministry, this was the book, the only book that William owned, where he got all of his sermon material. And it says, presented to William McGuire Clark by Connie. Aww. So I wanted to honor my grandparents on Father's Day, and I wanted to read from this. So we're reading the King, <clears throat> reading the King James. Ephesians 5.15, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, where is an excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing 
and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be unto their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, even as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause, a man... For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and let the wife see that she reverence her husband. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou may live long on the earth. And fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So in these verses, we see just on a passing glance, every husband, going back to our idea here of representing the kingdom of God as a family, not just as individuals. I can do it myself, but the family unit is supposed to be a representation of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. When people look into our family culture, they're supposed to see the kingdom of God, not just Brandon in the workplace representing the kingdom of God, but people are supposed to be able to look in the household of the Deces and see, man, it's not just that Brandon is a Christian individually. It's not just that Nina is a Christian individually. It's not just that Shaylin is a Christian individually. It's not just that Madeline is a Christian individually doing their own thing with Jesus. Their thing with Jesus clearly affects their relationships to one another. Brandon is a different kind of husband because he's a Christian. And he's a different kind of man in this world as as a husband. I've seen many husbands... But I haven't seen that before. That's something different. I've seen many wives, but I haven't seen that before. That's a kingdom representation they're doing. I've seen many children. I've seen many daughters, but I haven't seen that before. What I see in those girls, that's a kingdom thing. It's not just they're following Jesus and it doesn't affect their relationship with their parents. It's they're following Jesus and, of course, it affects everything else. So families are to represent the kingdom of God. Families are to give this bright light, this great hope to the world around us. 
to show them, look how sweet it is. Like we were talking about tasting and seeing the age to come, enjoying and walking in obedience to the Word of God, it is walking by faith, and it is receiving the pleasures and the promises of the age to come. In the same way that we talked last week about healing, it's a way that you know, we can get this beautiful lightning strike from the age to come. We can get this beautiful manna from the age to come, a taste of the real meal. In the same way, we get the shalom, the peace, the richness of God's goodness that's coming in the age to come. We can embrace that. How? By faith. Just like we were talking about we receive healing by faith. Oh, we got a taste of it. We can also receive the age to come by faith, tasting it, seeing it, enjoying it, and walking by it through the way we obey God as a family, through the way we obey God in our family culture, in our relationship to our wives, in your relationship to your husbands, in your relationship to your parents, fathers, in your relationship to your children. These are blessings of God's kingdom. This is the kingdom way. This isn't an alternative to the world. This is the correct way to live. This is the ideal. This is perfection. This is what family was designed for. Does that make sense? Amen. So every, hus- every husband is supposed to show his wife and the world what lengths Jesus went through to rescue them. Every wife is supposed to show her husband and the world what submission and respect for Jesus should look like. Every father is supposed to show his children and the world what our Father in heaven is really like. Every child, children, what are you supposed to do? Every child is supposed to show adults and other kids what it looks like to trust, to obey, and to honor God. Families in the kingdom of God are to show one another and the world the gospel of the kingdom of God as a husband, as a father, as a wife, as a son, as a daughter. As God's people live right side up in this world that's upside down, we show them the blessing. They got the blood rushing to their head. They're uncomfortable, but they're like, this is all I've ever known. We're going, there's a right way. There's a better way. It's 180 degree different. So it is, it's repenting. That's what repentance looks like. It's going this way and it's turning and coming in the opposite direction. It was going down and instead you flip it and now it's coming up. So it's different. But this is what we're to do, to shine brightly for them, to be the salt. As Salt Church, we're to be a bold flavoring. And in particular, Salt Church has a calling. This is another part of our identity as a church that we are going to embrace, that we are going to have a marker of us as our marriages and our families. We are going to pursue God's ideal. We are going to boldly pursue it. Why is that a bold thing to do? Well, because it is so boldly rebelled against in the world that we live in. So because it is so bold-facedly opposed, we are going, we're bold just by walking in simple obedience. So we're not trying to start a fight, but at the same time, we're very well aware that that is exactly what will happen as we preach and teach the things that we're going to preach and teach. As we live by these standards and don't apologize for them and don't make justifications or exceptions for them. Because these things, they're, they're unique. But well, who are we doing it for? Are we doing it because we're warring against these folks? No, we're doing it because we want to honor King Jesus. We really fear God. We really love Him. 
And we love him and fear him more than we fear anybody else. So we're, are we fighting? Well, yeah, we're fighting against the strong man, remember? But Jesus has bound him. So because the strongest man has bound Satan, now we want to walk these things out. Now we want to enjoy God's goodness. So we're going to walk through these verses and we're going to look and see that each group in the family, each person in the family, each role in the family is given commands. And they're given commands that they're particularly dealing with, that they, in their very carnal nature, have a tendency to rebel against. So God gives each person, he gives, he starts with the wife, he goes to the husband, he goes to the children, then he goes to the fathers. But he gives each person commands. What does he give them commands about? He gives them commands to counter their very temptation, the very thing that they would struggle with, the very thing that they're most likely to deal with in their own sin. So he's not telling, you know, he doesn't tell each of them something that's irrelevant and random. He doesn't just say, hey, everybody get along. He doesn't just say, hey, everybody love each other. He wants that, but he tells them, as a wife, here's what you need to do. As a husband, here's what you need to do. As a child, here's what this looks like for you. As a father, here's what this looks like for you. So we're going to start in verses, right? We're going to follow in the order of the text. I've preached this before, and in my own cowardice, I don't know if it was cowardice or wisdom, but in my own, we'll just, I'll just tell you how I did it. I'm not even sure why I did it that way. I think I was also trying to be helpful for a congregation that maybe wasn't familiar or prepared for it. But I started with children. I started backwards because I knew where most opposition would come from. When you say children obey your parents, everybody goes, yeah. When you say husbands love your wives, you're just like, well, duh. And then you can even say, well, why would God tell children to obey their parents? Everybody's like, well, because their tendency is not to. They're like, right. Why would God tell husbands to love their wives? Well, because they have a tendency towards harshness and and not to be loving. Oh, okay. (laughs) Are there any other verses to cover? No, I think that's it, Pastor. All right, everybody have a great day. No, it's not the case at all. But the, 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 way, the reason that we feel that way is because we have been influenced by the spirit of the age. Yes. So do we need to overcorrect? It's not that we need to overcorrect. We just need to walk in faithfulness. Yeah. It may feel like overcorrection. Hudson, you have to be quiet with that. It may feel like overcorrection, but it's not. So we're not trying to be edgy. We're not trying to be bold. We're trying to be faithful. And when, it, when you live in whatever society we lived in, I mean, if we lived in other societies, other portions of this text would be the one that seems flagrant. Other portions of the text would be the one that offend our sensibilities. But we live where we live. And to avoid the fight of where we live is cowardice. Yes. And to not be faithful and to not bring the extra clarity. So if, I, if it seems like I'm bringing extra clarity and the scriptures that deal with wives, is he doing that on purpose? Of course, because we live in an area, we live in an age where there is extra distortion around the teachings for wives, Mm -hmm. even in the church. So where there is much confusion, there needs to be much clarity. Where there is much brokenness, there needs to be much healing. Where there is much sin, there needs to be much repentance. Mm -hmm. So what about all the others? Absolutely, totally and completely, everyone should walk in obedience to the word. But where there is much folly, there must be much wisdom. So if it seems as though I spend more time on wives, 
You know why. We live in America. We live in an age of the poisons and the wickedness and the evils of feminism. And it is a thing that is in opposition to God and his word. So this is why we want to be faithful to him and we want to embrace what he says and teaches. So I want you all to understand that, that we're not just going, yeah, like I am fired up about God and his word. Why? Well, the bigger perspective is because it's good. Nothing is being taken from anyone in these verses. No one's losing. God's kingdom is not win-lose. It's not some people get to win in the family and others have to lose. There are no losers in God's design for family. It's only win, 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 win. God has the ideal. God loves women. God loves men. God loves children. And because he does, he has a plan. He has a path. He has a way. He has a means. And it involves walking by faith for every member of the family. It involves walking by faith for wives. It involves husbands walking by faith, fathers walking by faith, and children walking by faith. It is all an act of worship unto God. So verse, I'm going to start in verse 21 here because I have to bring some clarification even there. Submitting yourselves one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be unto their own husbands in everything. So, the commands to wives are most opposed at the moment in the day and age we live in. Like I said, husbands love, well, yeah, I like that. Kids obey, yeah, that's good. Wives submit, what? What are you talking about? This is crazy. So let's clarify what's going on here. Uh, A lot of times there's a a really basic misunderstanding of what's happening just even in the text. Starting at verse 21, a lot of times people uh, get confused. So it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. So a common mistake that's made right here in the text is people say, it says submit one to another. And then it says, wives, submit to husbands. So what's really happening here is Paul was saying, submit to each other, guys. Everybody, husbands submit to wives, wives submit to husbands. You know, for example, wives submit to husbands. That's the, 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 the incorrect, sorry, couldn't resist. I didn't get him. That's the incorrect interpretation that takes place. That he's, he's just saying, everybody submit to each other. For example, wives submit to husbands, but that's not what's happening. And there's a lot of, lot of clarity. I'll give you like at least three big reasons why we're a thousand percent sure that's not what's happening. So let's, let's zoom out for a second in context. Well, Ephesians giving us very practical, a lot of just practical, like, like Christian living, just do this, do that, do this, do that. Here's how to behave. Here's how, here's how to live. You know what we already read. Make the most of the time. The days we live in are evil. Be wise, not as unwise. You know, don't get drunk. Um, here's how to worship. Here's how to praise God. Be filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> Submit yourselves one to another. So when he's talking about submitting yourselves one to another, he's still addressing the church. This is why almost every Bible who that breaks up the text for, for sake of clarity to show you where different ideas are transitioning, they separate that. A lot of times, verse 22 starts in a new section. Mm-hmm. And that's a deliberate thing to bring clarity to what was happening. So submit yourselves one to another. 
that would have been considered more of a church teaching, deferring to one another in the body. Right. Me and Brandon showing deference to one another and honor to one another. Like, no, you, you can have it your way. No, you can have it your way. Like, I'm not looking to war with you. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking to fight with you in those moments and those opportunities. When we go into verse 22 down, he really has changed the, the angle and is saying, all right, now, I've been doing all this teaching to you as Christians. Now I'm doing family teaching. Now I'm ordering, I'm showing you and confirming again what the order of family looks like in the kingdom of God. So all through, 20, all through verse 22 into chapter 6, where he, he goes further, we stopped at children, he goes into, or we stopped at fathers, he goes further into, say, servants and masters, you know, slaves and masters in their households, and he gives instructions to them as well. I didn't go there because it wasn't as relevant for what we're wanting to a, a, approach today. But he is very clearly doing kingdom teaching for families. All right, so I've been teaching you about this in the church, been teaching you about that in the church. Now, let's talk about families in the church, in the kingdom of God. Here is how the family is built. Here's how God built the family. Well, how do we really know that? How do we know that's not what's taking place? Well, we also know that because this teaching doesn't exist right here in Ephesians. The teaching of, of submission and headship doesn't just exist here in Ephesians 5. That's another thing that's ignorantly presented a lot of times from Christians. Well, you know, you know, you, you got to remember, Paul was talking to the Ephesians already when that argument has begun. What that person is attempting to do is they're attempting to apply this particular text exclusively to the early receivers of the letter. So the letter was written to a particular people at a particular time. We know that. And we also know that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for instruction at all times and in all ages. In addition to that, we also know that this same teaching exists in Colossians. We also know that this same teaching exists in 1 Peter. We also know that the same teaching exists in 1 Corinthians. So all of these New Testament teachings, the other thing that's important to recognize, these are not new. These were merely confirmations of what God established in the garden. So these were not like, hey, everybody, got something crazy. Now, it would have been crazy in Roman culture. It was crazy different, and I don't have time to get into it today, but the listeners, the hearers of these letters, the men in the church would have been blown away at the extreme burden that was placed on them because it was clear that they were the heads of their wives, but it was in a dominant way. The The burden is on them, in this text, you know, modern women read this and go, I can't believe the weight put on me. And this is going, um, apparently you didn't read it because there's somebody in here who has to love everybody else. Uh, like Jesus loves everybody. <laughs> like you want that one? You want that one on your shoulders? So, so the, the, the men who would have first heard this would have been outraged at like, what? Like I had smooth sailing and now I've got to do what? So, I lost my train of thought. Okay. So all of the all of the New Testament teachings, because a lot of times folks ignorantly will reference that and they'll oftentimes, well, verse 21 says submit one to another. So what they're implying there is that it's a mutual submission. Mm-hmm. Well, let's read the context. Let's just read the verses and see if we can honestly wrestle that out of it. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Okay, well, that'd be a strange connection to say. Everybody submit to each other. Wives, submit to your husbands as, as you submit to the Lord. 
Okay, are husbands also supposed to submit to wives as they submit to the Lord? I don't know. Let's see what verse 23 tells us. For the husband is the head of the wife. Okay, well, there goes our whole argument. Like, how many heads are there? There's one head. Like, this isn't complicated. It's not intended to be complicated. Like, you've got to be an, a, a... I was going to use a word I won't use. Uh, it takes foolishness to, to get anything else out of these texts. The husband is the head of the wife. What's that supposed to mean? I don't know. Let's read the Bible. The Bible will define it for us. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So, so the husband is the head of the wife like Christ is the head of the church. So does that allow for mutual submission anymore at this point? Because does, the, does Jesus submit to the church? Right. So, so there goes that perspective. And again, that's only if we just stayed right here in these three verses and we didn't take the whole rest of the Bible. And most importantly, God's design in the garden of Adam as head, Eve as designed as Adam's helper. And the only reason these things become offensive is because the snake has whispered to us to think that, that these things are not good. Yeah. It's only because we believe that these things are actually bad. It's only because we believe these things are, are there's some injustice taking place. There's some insignificance happening in the wife. There's some, uh, there's some injustice. That there's really believed that there's like, there's some, something is wrong, something's broken here. There truly must be this 50-50 approach to marriage for there to be goodness. But that's not God's design, and that's not his plan. So for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, the Savior of the body. So what's a wife supposed to do? Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, is the church subject unto Christ? Do we submit fully to him? Do we surrender to him? Do we long to obey him? Do we love to please him? So that would be a good thing as wives for you to meditate on. Well, how do I want to submit to Jesus? Like, what, what do I want to do for him? Lord, help me to apply that to my own marriage. Like, I have all this pleasure to please the Lord. Do I, do I delight in pleasing my husband? But, but modernity tells you something different. Feminism, literally, famous feminists have literally taught a woman should never do anything for the express pleasure of a man. Like, you can do things that he may enjoy as a byproduct of you doing you, girl, but never do anything for the express pleasure of a man. Mm-hmm. Don't ever do anything just because he's the man. Well, that's the snake. Yeah. In his full, I mean, the, the python has surrounded us and he's squeezed, and he's squeezing the church as well. Yes. And unfortunately, in obeying this and buying into this, women have been the biggest losers. Yeah. Men have not been the biggest losers. Women have been the biggest losers in this whole thing because they're rejecting their very nature. The very nature of a woman is to be the help to man. And that's 1 Corinthians again. Of course, again, not a new teaching, though. It's all just clarifications and reiterations of what happened back in the garden. Well, I'm concerned that this is going to get out of hand and this is going to get crazy and men are going to... Well, thankfully, we still have the Bible to teach men as well. So we'll get there. But since we're taking it in order of the text, Mm -hmm. instead of my previous path of kids, husbands... Like, all right, now that wives are fully persuaded that everybody else has correction too. So what does this require of a woman? It requires trust. It requires submission. It requires faith. Mm -hmm. It requires, I've got to trust God, even when I can't, even when I don't trust this man. Well, because this man's imperfect. This man sins against me all the time. Like, 
The scripture isn't saying he is Christ, but it's saying to submit to him like he's Christ. Mm-hmm. Of course, without sinning. You know, so like you can immediately dismiss the possibility. Well, what if he calls and like, well, sin is absolutely off the table. Right. Why? Because Christ is your ultimate head. But he is, your husband is your head. And of course, Christ is your supreme head. So you obey Christ before your husband. But generally speaking, and which is the, the context here, because we always want to jump to exceptions. We're always looking for our way out of the text. So like, well... You know, husbands will husbands do that as well. We're always looking for a qualifier. But the thing you'll find strangely absent from this whole portion of text is there's no qualifiers. Yeah. There's no, hey, everybody do this as long as everybody else does their part. Right. And that was the point of our vows on our wedding day. It wasn't, hey, you do your part, I do my part. It was, these are my vows. I'm all in. In sickness and in health, happy or sad, if we rich, if we broke, like I'm all in. Right. Like that's that's the point of vows. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's to lock it in in my heart. This is my commitment. This is this is my word. So God wants what's best for wives. His kingdom way is better and it is different from what we've been taught in the world and even in the church. So like I was saying, women are the biggest losers when, when they don't obey this because, and the whole family loses as well because the husband isn't receiving the honor that he craves and that he needs. And at the same time, wives aren't walking out the, the beautiful, beautiful, godly, feminine submission. And I've met many women who say, that's just not me, to which I can totally understand. I, I, I can meet, and I've met plenty of men who could make the same argument and go, well, loving you know, nurturing husband, that's just not me. Like, I'm not saying that's just not you, right? You know, we make the same argument with people say, hey, I was born this way, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you weren't born that way. I'm just saying we have to obey God. Like, so God at no point is saying, if you feel like it, if you feel right. these inclinations, yes. God's right. saying, I didn't ask anybody. Like, let's ask children, right? Should we, pl- should we apply this same <laughs> game to kids? Right, right. Wives, like, I'm just not a submissive woman. okay. Husbands, I'm just not a loving husband. That one gets cringy, right? Yeah. The wife one, we like, I feel you, girl. It comes to husbands. I'm not a loving husband. Mm, Bill, you're kind of a jerk. Kids, I'm just not an obedient child. Go get the belt. Like, we escalate with each one. For Becky, we're like, I know, girl. You just do you. You're a powerful woman. For Bill, we're like, Mo, you're kind of a jerk. And then for kids, we're like, I'm going to beat you into submission because you must obey. It doesn't matter if you feel like an obedient child. Like, nobody cares. I, we know you're not an obedient child. That's the point. Nobody's obedient. Husbands aren't going to be loving. It requires a lot to love your wife like Christ loves the church. I'm not a submissive woman. I'm not just one of these like, oh, whatever you say, husband. Like, yeah, we know. We know. The secret's not at, like, you're not telling us something we didn't know. This isn't shocking. God's not surprised. Nobody's offended. We know you have flesh. Here's the thing, ladies. We have to call it that. We have to call that flesh. We can't call that girl power. We can't call that anything other than what it is. Can we say the S word? It's sin. Yes. We have to call it exactly what it is. 
Well, what am I supposed to do? Repent. That's the good news. Welcome to the kingdom. Everybody's still safe. Everybody's still loved. Why do we want to do this? Because you win. Because it honors God. Because it honors your husband. Because it strengthens your marriage. Because it shows your children. And what's the purpose of all this? Well, we get back to that later, right? This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Christ and the church. What is marriage? What's the point? Jesus says in heaven, we're not given in marriage anymore. That's crazy to think about. I don't like that. But the point is, me and this girl aren't going to be married anymore. And the point of this temporary marriage was to show us what it all is about. It's all about Jesus and the church. This is not the thing. As good as this is, and y'all, it's real good. As good as this is, this is not the thing. The thing, it, this is an example to show us the greater thing of Christ in the church. So, am I giving up my rights? Yeah, that's the point. Everybody does. Men have to lay down their lives and sacrifice. Wives have to surrender. Children have to obey. Everybody gets their role of walking by faith and obeying God in the kingdom. Everybody gets a chance to do it. So God wants what's best for wives even though they haven't been taught that in the church. Mm-hmm. So if Jesus is my Lord in every area where I agree with him, but not in the areas where I don't agree with him, then I'm clearly showing my lack of submission to him, which is why, as a wife, I'm not submitting to my husband to begin with, because I'm not in submission to God. So to not submit to your husband is to rebel against God. And that reveals, ultimately, that Jesus doesn't have lordship in an area of your life. So wives get to be like Jesus. How? Everybody gets to be like Jesus. Everybody gets to be Ephesians 5.1. We didn't go that far back. Everybody gets to be an imitator of God. How do wives get to be imitators of God? Wives get to be like Jesus by putting, when he puts himself under the will of the Father, wives get to do the same thing when they honor and surrender their husbands. Jesus humbled himself before the Father and submitted his will to the Father. I'm not going to submit myself. Are you more powerful than Jesus? Because he did it. Jesus, if Jesus can submit himself, can you submit yourself? So let's keep going. Verses 25 through 31. Husbands, love your wives. Yeah, I love my wife. Yeah, no big deal. Easy. Like, I love my wife. It's all good. I love her. Here we go. <laughs> Brace yourself. Gird up your loins like a man. (laughs) Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Oh, 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 okay, 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 a little bit different. A little bit different from, you know, like, love your wife. Like, I love tacos, you know. I love football, you know. (laughs) I love guns, you know. Oh, this is a different kind of love. I see. The most extreme love that's ever been shown. Okay. The most over-the-top, sacrificial, I will bleed out and die and make that my mission because I love you so much. That kind of love. Okay, okay. I see. I see where you're going with this, Lord. Gave him himself up for it. Verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse it. So here's some hope for husbands. Why did Jesus do this for the church? He did it so he could sanctify it and cleanse it and present it to himself. Jesus did it for himself. Jesus loved the church. He wants to purify the church, bless the church, do what's good for the church, do what's right for the church. Also, who's going to be the beneficiary? Jesus is. 
because he wants a spotless bride. So this is exactly what he's teaching for husbands. So there's good news here. There's good news because as you love your wife this way, as you see that she's flourishing, as you see that she's thriving, as you see that she's nurtured, as you see that she's cared for, well, who's the beneficiary of a well-kept and well-loved wife? You. So that's good news. And you need that good news because why? Well, because loving your wife like Christ loves the church is extreme. And it requires a lot. I'm going to get him. Podcast people, there's a tiny gnat who's tormenting me. And I keep trying to kill him. Thorn in the flesh. My thorn in the flesh. Multiple times I asked the Lord to remove it. And he said his grace is sufficient for me. So Jesus did this that he might sanctify and cleanse the church with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. So ladies back then didn't want to have spots or wrinkles either. So apparently, you know, women are not all that different from from then to now. So Jesus didn't want a church with any spot or wrinkle either. Jesus wants a glorious church. So he's still pointing out, what is all marriage pointing to? Jesus in the church. Jesus in the church. Jesus in the church. Jesus in the church. So what's marriage supposed to be showing the world? Jesus in the church. Jesus in the church. People are supposed to be able to look in our marriages and say, wow, Jamichael loves like Jesus. Wow. Natalie submits like the church. Like, Natalie, like, it's just crazy. It's beautiful. They both love. They both trust. They both, they're both engaged deeply. Their vows mean something. Their relationship is a covenant. This is showing people the kingdom of God because Jesus in the church is the kingdom of God. So without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Men, as you purify your wives and wash them with the water of the word, they become more holy. They become more beautiful. They become more incredible. They become, they become more of a gift to you. This was Jesus' point. What's the point? Did God save us just for us? God saved us for himself because God loves God. God is all about God's glory. God wanted people to continually glorify him. God wanted a bride. God wanted a wife. So he came and got one. He made one and he said, my bride will choose me. If you don't choose me, there's a consequence. But if you choose me, I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to honor you. So men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. So he takes for granted here that men love themselves. Men should love themselves. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes his flesh, even as the Lord nourishes and cherishes the church. Husbands, are you nourishing and cherishing your wives? So that's one thing. Do you love your wife? Yeah, I love my wife. Good, Bill. We're glad you love your wife. Now, Bill, do you nourish her? Well, I mean, that's, that's a big ask. Do you cherish her? Okay, like, I said I love my wife. Like, do we have to add all these, like, explanations behind it? Like, isn't love, love, love? No, no, this love is different. This is a love like any other. This is a love that Jesus says we have to model exactly after him. So, husbands, husbands love your wives doesn't seem too extreme until you add all of these other things where you understand what 
loving the church really looks like for Jesus. To nourish, to care for, to care, and to pour himself out. So your headship isn't just to protect from harm and just, or just to keep food on the table. It is to love fully and completely. Jesus doesn't just meet our basic essentials. He doesn't just cover the bases and go, look, you're not dead. You know, I told you I loved you when I saved you. Like, if anything changes, I'll let you know. Jesus is constantly providing for his church, constantly wanting to deepen the relationship. Jesus is constantly looking out for our good. Nourish and cherish your wives. Nourish and cherish your wives. Do you love your wife? Yeah, I love her. Cool. Do you love her like Jesus? Do you nourish and cherish her? So how do husbands get to imitate God? How do husbands get to look like God? Husbands are like Jesus in his headship over the church and his sacrificial love for her. The responsibility of headship carries three legs of leadership. Compassion, which includes the nourishing and the cherishing. The responsibility, which is the one we as men go to most of the time. The provide, the protect, the lead. And also the authority. And the authority we define this way. It is the power to do what's best for them. It's not the same thing as doing the thing that they want, but it is the power to do what's best for them. And that is what authority is. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's liked. It doesn't mean it's loved. But it means we know we will answer to God. Amen. When God comes walking into the garden of your marriage, he doesn't say, where is Eve? I know she ate it first. He says, where are you, Adam? Mm-hmm. That is the question that God asked in the garden. He didn't say, who ate it first? And I'm going, it was her. It was her, I'm telling you. It was her. He says, where are you? Why would he come in and ask for Adam? Because Adam is the head of Eve. Eve was made as the helper. Adam was the one who sinned. And the New Testament doesn't hold Eve responsible. It constantly says, Adam sinned first. Yeah. Like Eve isn't even thought about in the sin. It's not Eve's thing. It's, it's Adam. And of course, he does say, you know, Eve, it does say Eve sinned first. But Adam is held responsible as the one who is considered the sinner. We're falling into the sin, not because of what Eve did, but because of what Adam did. So it says, yes, the woman was deceived first, but we're held accountable because of Adam's sin. So your wife may sin first in your marriage, but God holds you accountable. Well, she's not submitting to me. And what does it have to do with our verses, our commands? We're to walk in obedience no matter what she does. Like Jesus. Jesus is faithful to us when we're unfaithful to him. So I sin against Jesus, but his headship is still perfect over me. So we get to act like Jesus in our headship. But we, once we understand what the full spectrum of the headship means, it's a heavy thing, it's a beautiful thing, and it's the thing that we're called to. Verses 32 and 33, I've got to hurry up. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you, in particular, love his wife even as himself, and see that, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So again, marriage in the kingdom of God is supposed to show the world the kingdom of God. Marriages in the kingdom of God are supposed to show the world the kingdom of God. We're supposed to be able to say, hey, look at us. This is what it looks like. Look at the deep love. Look at the surrender. Look at the submission. Look at the sacrifice. Look at the faith. We'll keep going. Verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Why would he say this to kids? Why would he tell kids to obey their parents? 
because he knows kids. He knows their temptation. Everybody in this room was a kid at one point or is a kid now. So obviously, this one is really straightforward. But kids, this is your opportunity to be like Jesus. This is your chance to show the world, to show everybody. God has a promise for you on top of it, that things will go well with you. If you want things to go good for you, that's good. God wants those things to go well for you too. But you can only have things His way, not your way. So God has a promise. He wants things to go good for you. Kids get to be like Jesus in the same way that Jesus obeyed His Father. Jesus only did what the Father told Him to do. So kids, do you want to be like Jesus? Then obey the Father. Obey your father and honor your mother. And that is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus only did what the Father told him to do. And that will make you totally different from the rest of the kids in the world. When you're out with your parents in public and they speak to you and you obey the first time they speak, you instantly obey. You obey right away, not later. You don't wait. You don't take your time. You don't push. You don't wait. You don't roll your eyes. The world sees that all the time. Mm -hmm. They see that in movies. They see that in TV shows. They see dishonor. They see disrespect. They see bad attitudes. But in the kingdom of God, they they shouldn't see any of that. They should see a a mother speak to her child in the grocery store, and immediately they hear, yes, ma'am. And they go, wow, your sons are so obedient. Your daughters are so well-behaved. Wow. I don't, that's amazing. You go, thank you. The kingdom of God has come near you. What a blessing. What a testimony. So you are a testimony. You might think, well, I'm not preaching. I haven't shared the gospel with anybody in the grocery store. But you do show people the kingdom. Even when you obey. When you take something off the shelf. And mama or daddy says, put it back. And you go, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. What happens in the kingdom? Obedience. Love. Faithful trust. Because if you really trust and love and know that your daddy and mommy have what's best for you and they want what's best for you, then you can rest and you can know that no good thing will be kept from you. That no reward, that no treasure, that no pleasure is being held out of your life, but actually God is wanting to give you the best. Yes, Hudson? Um, Yep, we're talking about families in the kingdom of God. Okay, but you you are on the grown-ups, but when will you... Get to the kids part. I'm on it right now. Okay. You weren't listening. I was saying, kids, when you're in the store, obeying right away, okay. that's the kid stuff. Because that's what he tells kids. Obey your father and mother. Honor your father and mother in the Lord, for this is right. Okay. So that is the command to kids. That is your chance. Mm-hmm. That is your opportunity to receive the good news and to teach it and preach it to the world. So that's how kids get to be like Jesus, obeying the Father. And then, finally, in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Other translations say, do not exasperate their ch- your children. He's teaching here to fathers not to place burdens too great on your children, not to lean too heavily. Why would he say this to fathers? Well, Because we have the temptation and tendency to put burdens too great on them, to put things on their shoulders that they're not yet ready for, to require too much of the two-year-old, you know, to to require a a two-year-old to be a six-year-old, to require a six-year-old to be a 12-year-old, to require a 12-year-old to be a 16-year-old, to require a 16-year-old to be an 18-year-old. 
We are, on one hand, as fathers, we always re- require a lot out of our children. Fathers are generally going to be the one who expects more. Mothers are, are generally going to be the more nurturing, the more patient. These are both good. Fathers have to protect, though. They have to guard and make sure that they're not too harsh. They have to make sure that they don't go too far. You know, we've seen the stereotypical father, the put the burdens on his kids, and what do they do as soon as they're free? As soon as they're out from under his covering, they bust loose and they go nuts because his burdens were so oppressive. He wasn't shepherding them through things. They felt restricted. Of course, kids are still going to feel restricted, as they should. But the burdens were too great. They were too heavy. So as fathers, the command to us is that we would nurture, that we would that we would be gently leading, that we would shepherd well. Nurture, that's the key word. That's a word that typically is reserved for mothers, and that is the strength of a mother. That is the strength of a woman. That is what she is called to do. That is what she is made for. But he uses this word for men. And the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So it's both and. We're still strong, but we also have to make sure that we have uh, wisdom to nurture our children. How do fathers get to be like God? How do we get to imitate the Father? Fathers are like God the Father and His patient shepherding over us. So we see again, and I'm closing now, there aren't conditions listed for any of these commands. There are no conditions it doesn't say love your wife if she's submissive. Submit to your husband if he's loving. Obey your parents if they know what they're talking about. If they understand your friends. If they really get it. If they're wise. No. Families in the kingdom know that that's where the worship is. The worship exists when it's challenging. Yes. You get to worship God when it's hard. That's when you get to worship. That's your moment to be a living sacrifice. That's your opportunity. And again, it's not a sacrifice because it's all good. So while you are crucifying the flesh, you're not losing. You're not going, I'll take a few steps back for you, Lord. No, you've missed it entirely. God is giving you the best.